0: Chapter Three of Lost Man's Lane by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mary Bard, Derby, England. I succumb. That night, the tempter had his own way with me. Without much difficulty, he persuaded me that my neglect of Althea Burroughs' children was without any excuse that what had been my duty toward them when i knew them to be left motherless and alone had become an imperative demand upon me now that the town in which they lived had become overshadowed by a mystery which could not but affect the comfort and happiness of all its inhabitants i could not wait a day i recalled all that i had heard of poor althea's short and none too happy marriage and immediately felt such a burning desire to see if her dainty but spirited beauty, how well I remembered it, had been repeated in her daughter's, that I found myself packing my trunk before I knew it. I had not been from home for a long time, all the more reason why I should have a change now, and when I notified Mrs. Randolph and the servants of my intention of leaving on the early morning train, it created quite a sensation in the house but I had the best of explanations to offer. I had been thinking of my dead friend, and my conscience would not let me neglect her dear and possibly unhappy progeny any longer. I had purposed many times to visit X, and now I was going to do it. When I come to a decision, it is usually suddenly, and I never rest after having once made up my mind. My sentiment went so far that I got down an old album and began hunting up the pictures I had brought away with me from boarding school. Hers was among them, and I really did experience more or less compunction when I saw again the delicate yet daring features which had once had a very great influence over my mind. What a teasing sprite she was, yet what a will she had! And how strange it was that, having been so intimate as girls, we never knew anything of each other as women. Had it been her fault or mine? Was her marriage to blame for it, or my spinsterhood? Difficult to tell then, impossible to tell now. I would not even think of it again save as a warning. Nothing must stand between me and her children now that my attention has been called to them again. I did not mean to take them by surprise, that is, not entirely. The invitation which they had sent me years ago was still in force, making it simply necessary for me to telegraph them that I had decided to make them a visit, and that they might expect me by the noon train. If in times gone by they had been properly instructed by their mother in regard to the character of her old friend, this need not put them out. I am not a woman of unbounded expectations, I do not look for the comforts abroad I am accustomed to find at home, and if, as I have reason to believe, their means are not of the greatest, they would only provoke me by any show of effort to make me feel at home in the humble cottage suited to their fortunes. So the telegram was sent, and my preparations completed for an early departure. But, resolved as I was to make this visit, my determination came near receiving a cheque. Just as I was leaving the house, at the very moment, in fact, when the hackman was carrying out my trunk, I perceived a man approaching me with every evidence of haste. He had a letter in his hand, which he held out to me as soon as he came within reach. For Miss Butterworth, he announced, private and immediate. Ah, thought I a communication from mr gryce and hesitated for a moment whether to open it on the spot or to wait and read it at my leisure on the cars the latter course promised me less inconvenience than the first for my hands were cumbered with the various small articles i consider indispensable to the comfortable enjoyment of the shortest journey and the glasses, without which I cannot read a word, were in the very bottom of my pocket under many other equally necessary articles. But something in the man's expectant look warned me that he would never leave me till I had read the note. So with a sigh I called Lena to my aid, and after several vain attempts to reach my glasses succeeded at last in pulling them out, and by their help reading the following hurried lines. Dear Madam, I send you this by a swifter messenger than myself. Do not let anything that I may have said last night influence you to leave your comfortable home. The adventure offers too many dangers for a woman. Read the enclosed. G. The enclosed was a telegram from X sent during the night and evidently just received at headquarters. Its contents were certainly not reassuring. "'Another person missing. Last seen in Lost Man's Lane. "'A harmless lad known as Silly Rufus. "'What's to be done? Wire orders. Trome.' "'Mr. Grice bade me say that he would be up here some time before noon,' said the man, "'seeing me look with some blankness at these words. "'Nothing more was needed to restore my self-possession. "'Folding up the letter, I put it in my bag.' "'Say to Mr. Grice from me that my intended visit cannot be postponed,' I replied. "'I have telegraphed to my friends to expect me, "'and only a great emergency would lead me to disappoint them. "'I will be glad to receive Mr. Grice on my return.' "'And without further parley, I took my bundles back from Lena "'and proceeded at once to the carriage. "'Why should I show any failure of courage at an event that was but a repetition "'of the very ones which made my visit necessary?' Was I a likely person to fall victim to a mystery to which my eyes had been opened? Had I not been sufficiently warned of the dangers of Lost Man's Lane to keep myself at a respectable distance from the place of peril? I was going to visit the children of my once devoted friend. If there were perils of no ordinary nature to be encountered in so doing, was I not all the more called upon to lend them the support of my presence? yes mr gryce and nothing now should hold me back i even felt an increased desire to reach the scene of these mysteries and chafed some at the length of the journey which was of a more tedious character than i expected a poor beginning for events requiring patience as well as great moral courage but i little knew what was before me and only considered that every moment spent on this hot and dusty train kept me thus much longer from the embraces of Althea's children. I recovered my equanimity however as we approached X. The scenery was really beautiful and the consciousness that I should soon alight at the mountain station which had played a more or less serious part in Mr Grice's narrative awakened in me a pleasurable excitement which should have been a sufficient warning to me that the spirit of investigation which had led me so triumphantly through that affair next door, had seized me again in a way that meant equal absorption, if not equal success. The number of small packages I carried gave me enough to think of at the moment of alighting, but as soon as I was safely again on terra firma, I threw a hasty glance around to see if any of Althea's children were on hand to meet me. I felt that I ought to know them at first glance, Their mother had been so characteristically pretty she could not have failed to transmit some of her most charming traits to her offspring but while there were two or three country maidens to be seen standing in and around the little pavilion known here as the mountain station i saw no one who by any stretch of imagination could be regarded as of althea Burroughs' blood or breeding somewhat disappointed for I had expected different results from my telegram, I stepped up to the station-master and asked him whether I would have any difficulty in procuring a carriage to take me to Miss Nolly's house. He stared, it seemed to me, unnecessarily long before replying. Well, said he, Simmons is usually here, but I don't see him around today. Perhaps some of these farmer lads will drive you in but they all drew back with a scared look and i was beginning to tuck up my skirts preparatory to walking when a little old man of exceedingly meek appearance drove up in a very old-fashioned coach and with a hesitating air springing entirely from bashfulness managed to ask if i was miss butterworth i hastened to assure him that i was that lady whereupon he stammered out some words about miss knollys and how sorry she was that she could not come for me herself then he pointed to his coach and made me understand that i was to step into it and go with him this i had not counted upon doing for i desired to both see and hear as much as possible before reaching my destination there was but one way out of it to his astonishment i insisted that my belongings be put inside the coach while i rode on the box It was an inauspicious beginning to a very doubtful adventure. I understood this when I saw the heads of the various onlookers draw together, and many curious looks directed at both us and the conveyance that was to carry us. But I was in no mood to be daunted now, and mounting to the box with what grace I could, prepared myself for a ride into town. But it seems I was not to be allowed to leave the spot without another warning while the old man was engaged in fetching my trunk the station-master approached me with great civility and asked if it was my intention to spend a few days with the misses knollys i told him that it was and thinking it best to establish my position at once in the eyes of the whole town added with a politeness equal to his own that i was an old friend of the family and had been coming to visit them for years but had never found it convenient till now and that I hoped they were all well and would be glad to see me." His reply showed considerable embarrassment. "'Perhaps you have not heard that this village is under a cloud just now?' "'I have heard that one or two men have disappeared from here somewhat mysteriously,' I returned. "'Is that what you mean?' "'Yes, ma'am. One person, a boy, disappeared only two days ago.' "'That's bad,' I said. "'But what has it to do with me?' I smilingly added, for I saw that he was not at the end of his talk. Oh, nothing, he eagerly replied, only I didn't know but you might be timid. Oh, I'm not at all timid, I hastened to interject. If I were, I should not have come here at all. Such matters don't affect me. And I spread out my skirts and arranged myself for my ride with as much care and precision as if the horrors he had mentioned had made no more impression upon me than if his chat had been of the weather. Perhaps I overdid it for he looked at me for another moment in a curious lingering way. Then he walked off and I saw him enter the circle of gossips on the platform where he stood shaking his head as long as we were within sight. My companion, who was the shyest man I ever saw, did not speak a word while we were descending the hill. I talked, and endeavoured to make him follow my example, but his replies were mere grunts or half-syllables, which conveyed no information whatever. As we cleared the thicket, however, he allowed himself an ejaculation or two, as he pointed out the beauties of the landscape. And indeed it was well worth his admiration, and mine, had my mind been free to enjoy it. But the houses, which now began to appear on either side of the way, drew my attention from the mountains. Though still somewhat remote from the town, we were rapidly approaching the head of that lane of evil fame, with whose awe-inspiring history my thoughts were at this time full. I was so anxious not to pass it without one look into its gruesome recesses, that I kept my head persistently turned that way, till I felt I was attracting the attention of my companion as this was not desirable i put on a nonchalant look and began chatting about what i saw but he had lapsed into his early silence and seemed wholly engrossed in his attempt to remove with the butt-end of his whip a bit of rag which had somehow become entangled in the spokes of one of the front wheels the furtive look he cast me as he succeeded in doing this struck me oddly at the moment but it was too small a matter to hold my attention long Or to cause any cessation in the flow of small talk with which i was endeavouring to enliven the situation my desire for conversation lagged however as i saw rising up before us the dark boughs of a pine thicket we were nearing lost man's lane we were abreast of it we were yes we were turning into it i could not repress an exclamation of dismay where are we going i asked to miss Nolly's house he found words to say with a sidelong glance at me full of uneasy inquiry do they live on this road i cried remembering with a certain shock mr gryce's suspicious description of the two young ladies who with their brother inhabited the dilapidated mansion marked a in the map he had shown me where else was his laconic answer and obliged to be satisfied with this curtest of curt replies, I drew myself up with just one longing look behind me at the cheerful highway we were so rapidly leaving. A cottage with an open window in which a child's head could be seen nodding eagerly toward me, met my eyes and filled me with quite an odd sense of discomfort as I realized that I had caught the attention of one of the little cripples, who, according to Mr. Grice, always kept watch over this entrance into Lost Man's Lane. Another moment and the pine branches had shut the vision out, but I did not soon forget that eager, childish face and pointing hand, marking me out as a possible victim to the horrors of this ill-reputed lane. But I was aware of no secret flinching from the adventure into which I was plunging. On the contrary! i felt a strange and fierce delight in thus being thrust into the very heart of the mystery i had only expected to approach by degrees the warning message sent me by mr gryce had acquired a deeper and more significant meaning as did the looks which had been cast at me by the station-master and his gossips on the hillside but in my present mood these very tokens of the serious nature of my undertaking only gave an added spur to my courage. I felt my brain clear and my heart expand, as if at this moment, before I had so much as set eyes on the faces of these young people, I recognised the fact that they were the victims of a web of circumstances, so tragic and incomprehensible that only a woman like myself would be able to dissipate them and restore these girls to the confidence of the people around them. I forgot that these girls had a brother, and that, but not a word to forestall the truth. I wish this story to grow upon you, just as it did upon me, and with just as little preparation. The farmer who drove me, and who I afterwards learned was called Simsbury, showed a certain dogged interest in my behaviour that would have amused me, or at least have awakened my disdain under circumstances of a less thrilling nature. I saw his eye roll in a sort of wonder over my person, which may have been held a little more stiffly than was necessary, and settle finally on my face, with a look I might have thought complimentary, had I had any thought to bestow on such matters. Not till we had passed the path branching up through the woods towards the mountain did he see fit to withdraw it. Nor did I fail to find it fixed again upon me, as we rode by the little hut occupied by the old woman, considered so harmless by Mr. Grice. Perhaps he had a reason for this, as I was very much interested in this hut and its occupant, about whom I felt free to cherish my own secret doubts, so interested that I cast it a very sharp glance, and was glad when I caught a glimpse through the doorway of the old crone mumbling over a piece of bread, She was engaged in eating as we passed her. "'That's Mother Jane,' explained my companion, breaking the silence of many minutes. "'And yonder is Miss Nolly's house,' he added, lifting his whip and pointing toward the half-concealed façade of a large and pretentious dwelling, a few rods further on down the road. "'She will be powerful glad to see you, Miss. Company is scarce in these parts.' astonished at this sudden launch into conversation by one whose reserve i had hitherto found it impossible to penetrate i gave him the affable answer he evidently expected and then looked eagerly toward the house it was as mr gryce had intimated exceedingly forbidding even at that distance and as we approached nearer and i was given a full view of its worn and discoloured front i felt myself forced to acknowledge that never in my life had my eyes fallen upon a habitation more given over to neglect or less promising in its hospitality. Had it not been for the thin circle of smoke eddying up from one of its broken chimneys, I would have looked upon the place as one which had not known the care or presence of man for years. There was a riot of shrubbery in the yard, a lack of the commonest attention to order in the way the vines drooped in tangled masses over the face of the desolate porch that gave to the broken pilasters and decayed window frames of this dreariest of facades that look of abandonment which only becomes picturesque when nature has usurped the prerogative of man and taken entirely to herself the empty walls and falling casements of what was once a human dwelling that any one should be living in it now, and that I, who have never been able to see a chair standing crooked or a curtain awry without a sensation of the keenest discomfort, should be on the point of deliberately entering its doors as an inmate, filled me at the moment with such a sense of unreality that I descended from the carriage in a sort of dream. And was making my way through one of the gaps in the high antique fence that separated the yard from the gateway, when Mr. Simsbury stopped me and pointed out the gate. I did not think it worth while to apologize for my mistake, for the broken palings certainly offered as good an entrance as the gate, which had slipped from its hinges and hung but a few inches open. But I took the course he indicated, holding up my skirts and treading gingerly for fear of the snails and toads that encumbered such portions of the path as the weeds had left visible. As I proceeded on my way, something in the silence of the spot struck me. Was I becoming over-sensitive to impressions? Or was there something really uncanny in the absolute lack of sound or movement in a dwelling of such dimensions? But I should not have said movement for at that instant I saw a flash in one of the upper windows as of a curtain being stealthily drawn and as stealthily let fall again and though it gave me the promise of some sort of greeting there was a furtiveness in the action so in keeping with the suspicions of Mr Grice that I felt my nerves braced at once to mount the half-dozen uninviting looking steps that led to the front door. But no sooner had I done this with what I am fain to consider my best heir, then I suddenly collapsed with what I am bound to regard as a comprehensible and quite excusable fear. For while I do not quail before men and have a reasonable fortitude in the presence of most dangers, corporeal and moral, I am not quite myself in face of a rampant and barking dog. It is my one weakness And while I usually can, and under most circumstances do, succeed in hiding my inner trepidation under the emergency just mentioned, I always feel that it would be a happy relief for me if the day should ever come when these so-called domestic animals would be banished from the affections and homes of men. Then I think I would begin to live in good earnest and perhaps enjoy trips into the country which now for all my apparent bravery i regard more in the light of a penance than a pleasure imagine then how hard i found it to retain my self-possession or even any appearance of dignity when at the moment i was stretching forth my hand toward the knocker of this inhospitable mansion i heard rising from some unknown quarter a howl so keen piercing and prolonged that it frightened the very birds over my head, and sent them flying from the vines in clouds. It was the unhappiest kind of welcome for me. I did not know whether it came from within or without, and when after a moment of indecision I saw the door open, I am not sure whether the smile I called up to grace the occasion had any of the real Amelia Butterworth in it. So much was my mind divided between a desire to produce a favourable impression and a very decided and not-to-be-hidden fear of the dog who had greeted my arrival with such an ominous howl. "'Call off the dog!' I cried almost before I saw what sort of person I was addressing. Mr. Gryce. when I saw him later, declared this to be the most significant introduction I could have made of myself upon entering the Knollys mansion. End of chapter 3. Recording by Mary Bard, Derby, England.